Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome to our show. I'm Karen, and I'm here with my hosts, Rich and Lyle. And today, our show is called Disposable Me. We're going to be talking about Amazon and their effort to identify a new place for their headquarters and the kinds of deals that cities end up making when corporations are looking for a corporate home. We're really doing the show today because Rich, hi Rich. Hi guys. Uh, Rich wanted to talk about his time as a warehouse worker, which we think is uh, very relevant to the discussion. but. First, we're going to have Rich give us an update on our prior episode where we talked about nurses and nurse wobble and um, police brutality in the workplace. So, Rich, give us a little update on that. So, as of uh, last week, Detective uh, Jeff Payne, who was the officer who arrested uh, Nurse Wubbles for doing her job, uh, was fired by the Salt Lake City Police Department, uh, and his supervisor was demoted for his role. Uh, in the in the incident as well, I think we all agree, guys, that uh, this is probably wouldn't have happened had Nurse Wubbles not been in a union. That was union power that uh, uh, gave her the security and gave her the uh, the the, uh, the power to to act on uh, the way she the way in which she'd been wronged. And I think we're somewhat glad, at least, to see at least in this case some sort of justice done. Yeah, I just want to add that. Um not only was the police officer fired from his police job, but he was also, I think, an EMS responder. And people, we didn't talk about it on the show, but people may recall that um, he, he threatened retribution against the hospital um, through his job as an ambulance driver and EMS uh, responder, um, saying that he was going to bring all the homeless clients, um, patients, to that hospital as punishment for um, having given him a hard time, and so he was fired from that position as well. Good. That's what I say. (laughs) Lyle, start us off. um, So it's been in the news for the last few weeks that Amazon is looking for new headquarters. Can you um, start us off in talking about and considering that? Yeah, so somewhat surprisingly, Rochester ended up, uh, according to a a study or um, a recent release from Moody's, um, Rochester ended up in the top 10 uh, most optimal places for the second headquarters for Amazon uh, to be. And it actually ended up in fourth place. And it was the only small city in the entire country that ended up on this list. I mean, number one is Austin. Number two is Atlanta. Number three is Philadelphia. And uh, we're number four. So it's it's it, you know there is a real a real chance that that the headquarters will will land here, um, and the real selling point for Rochester is its cost. Um, it's obviously a, a cheaper. It's everything's cheaper. Um, so you know our leadership, um, particularly um, recently, we had um, uh, Congresswoman Slaughter. Um, Speaking directly to Amazon, there's a video that's been passed around the internet, um, essentially begging Amazon to to bring their warehouses um, to our city. 
Um, and, you know, this is something that happens um, all the time. And it's actually been a major problem um, where you have all these kind of desperate um, Rust Belt post-industrial cities uh, that are in serious need of jobs. Uh, the Democratic Party has entirely abandoned them uh, in the sense of they've abandoned a full employment agenda. Um, they've, you know, more or less joined in on the deunionization uh, program of the past three or four decades. Um, so, you know, these are, these are understandably desperate cities uh, and, and they're, they're looking to employ people. Um, so there's really no uh, loud uh, oppositional voice um, to this plan. It, it seems like everyone um, in Rochester, at least everyone with a voice, is, is on the side of, of trying to get Amazon to, to come to, to Rochester. So Lyle, tell me, give me a little bit more of the rosy picture, um, the argument for having Amazon, for being a city like Rochester and having Amazon establish their headquarters here. Give, give me the rose, you or Rich. So I'll give the, give rosy, the rosy picture, picture and I'll give the not so rosy picture. So the rosy picture is Amazon comes in, uh, they supply 50,000 decent paying jobs with good benefits. They stay here forever or for a very long time. Um, and it's it's a win-win for everyone. This is the kind of rosy picture that's provided to every municipality um, when they're looking to bring in uh, new business. The not-so-rosy picture, and again, we, we've seen this happen time and again, is you have these uh, businesses come in, and uh, they do provide some jobs in the short to midterm, um, but it comes with all sorts of perks on their end. So they, they have tax abatements or tax reductions, uh, they end up a lot of other uh, resources that would be going to education or to other job programs or to infrastructure. A lot of that, a lot of those resources end up going to the company as kind of incentives to keep them, uh, keep them in the city that they are now in. Um, and uh, most of the profits, um, what we call windfall profits, end up accruing to the executives. It doesn't even really trickle down to most of these new workers or to the rest of the community. So ultimately, uh, and there's been multiple studies done on this, both when it comes to the uh, midterm to long-term effects in the actual cities where these businesses go, and then and then especially the national effects, um, you end up with an upward redistribution of wealth, um, the unemployment uh, figures more or less stay the same. Um, wages remain stagnant. Um, so you know that that's more or less what we should expect long term. Even if, if even even if we do end up with with Amazon and Rochester, right? And it, it's worth amplifying to your point that the money the city or any city that wins in quotes uh, this headquarters uh, winds up spending in tax abatements and in direct subsidies and you know, whatever uh, other bargains Amazon grills out of them is money that, of course, could have been spent on fair housing, on decent infrastructure, on health care, on education, on the, the basic infrastructure of a community, the basic infrastructure of things that not only make people happy, but make good communities. And so by building good communities also so incidentally encourage jobs, job growth as well, without having to make it a corporate giveaway. And uh, I'd also build on what you're saying is these are not good jobs. Jeff Bezos is a notorious uh, business owner. No matter what level of Amazon you work at, it's 
grueling work. It's uh, cutthroat work. He, he makes a point of pitting his employees against each other. He makes a point of working his uh, workers, whether they're blue collar, white collar, uh, whether at the Washington Post or whether they're at the Amazon warehouse into the ground. Um, and so these would you know, not be, you know, even as jobs per se, uh, great jobs. There'd be massive turnover. Uh, if we, if the, the Amazon warehouses and the Amazon headquarters that now exist are any indication, uh, it would be a, and frankly, a net loss for the community should this headquarters wind up here. Yeah, I think this reminds me, so moving away from Amazon headquarters, um, we already see the effects of these kinds of corporate giveaways. Um, very near Rochester in Geneva, New York, there's a glass factory. And it was recently, within the last year, bought by the Koch brothers. So they have, you know, we hear about them in the national news. They actually own a piece of us here locally. Um, and they're, within this past year, there was a renegotiation of the business's sorts of terms and how they're going to relate to the town of Geneva. And what they asked for was a $33 million tax abatement over the next, I think, 10 years, might have been 20 years. Um, that's actually a massive amount of money to take out of the town's coffers. And uh, what they did is that they, they threatened to close the factory down if they didn't get these, um, these abatements, these, this sweet deal. Um, the reasoning they gave uh, for the need for this um, tax break was uh, that they need a new furnace in order to continue doing business. Um, that's actually a cost of doing business that industries, particularly profitable industries, can afford their own maintenance. I mean, I fix my own house when it needs repair. Um, <laughs> so uh, they were successful. And... Um, some people felt like the the threat that they were going to close the factory down if they didn't get this deal um, was actually a hollow threat because they had recently in, um, invested millions of dollars in upgrading that factory. Um, it'd be probably maybe unlikely to leave town. So that's actually I can almost feel the whooshing sound um, that communities experience in giving sweetheart deals to these companies. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way of putting it. And, you know, I, I think it is worth asking, like, you know, what is the alternative? Because we do have all these desperate people uh, who are who are, are needed are, are in need of employment or income. Um, so, you know, how do we get them a job? And um, well, first of all, I mean, there's a lot of other ways locally to provide jobs for people. So um, one model um, has been happening in Cleveland for a number of years now. It's actually called the Cleveland model, where you have a network of what are called anchor institutions, um, organizations or institutions like hospitals, um, universities, uh, nonprofit organizations. These are all um, uh, uh, these are all institutions that are likely to stay in the city that they're in for all sorts of reasons. Um, they're, so they're not likely to leave and therefore they're not likely to um, blackmail essentially um, their own communities. Um, and they work with um, worker-owned cooperatives um, and community development corporations to ensure essentially that everyone has, not everyone, but a good chunk of the populace has decent paying jobs, um, that they have stock options, that they have health care. 
um, that they have union representation and all the rest. So, so this is these are local um, poss alternatives to uh, just constantly incentivizing these massive corporations to, uh, you know, fly into your city, um, drain the coffer, and then go elsewhere. Um, but ultimately, uh, these local solutions, in my mind, aren't enough. Uh, really, we need to return to, to national solutions because what we're really talking about is a handful of corporations that have the majority of the capital in our economy, which is why we're so desperate and why we're constantly begging for a little bit of that capital for our own little cities. Um, and we need to find a way to get at, at the capital that these massive corporations have uh, accumulated through the years. Um, and, and this means returning to really progressive social democratic policies, um, you know, progressive taxation, particularly progressive corporate taxation, um, uh, laws that favor uh, unions. I mean, unions have been declining in this country for a while now. So uh, we need to start thinking about um, introducing card check again, something that we were trying to push, you know, in, in the early years of the Obama administration. So things that will make it easier for, for unions to, to reemerge. And Amazon, for one, is, is a major uh, union busting uh, corporation. I mean, uh, um, Jeff Be Bezos is very clear about the fact that he doesn't want any unionized workers um, under, you know, under his command. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, we really need to look, I mean, we need to invest in these local um, options, but we also need to invest in these national programs. Right. Yeah. And you know, Bezos, like I, like I mentioned before, he owns the Washington Post as part of his, uh, his empire, and he's currently uh, embarking on a union busting uh, endeavor there. He's trying to break up their uh, the journalist union, the Washington Post. Um, so, you know, he's, he certainly is one of the most notorious uh, union busters and currently operating. Uh, this is a man who's worth $500 billion, it's worth mentioning. And uh, the fact that Amazon or any of these companies uh, can operate in a system where they can pit municipalities, they can pit states against each other in order to uh, basically pad their landing, search for the best deal, is not how any equitable society should be run. Like you were saying, you're absolutely right. You know, These are a key indication of why social democratic policies need to be the basis of our society, why equitable distribution of wealth needs to be the mainstay of our society. Because otherwise, what you have is these rich robber barons like Bezos uh, distributing the crumbs uh, to whoever gives them the best deal for uh, what crumbs they you know, happen to happen to dispense. You're listening to Punching Out, on WAYOLP Rochester, 104.3 FM. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Let's talk for a minute a little more in depth about what it is that cities are giving away. Um, it's not when they have a headquarters come in, for example. It's not just um, tax abatements but it is also the ways in which they shift and change and fund changes to the city infrastructure on behalf of the companies that come in. Um, when we talk about something like an Amazon headquarters, we may be talking about higher wage jobs and executives, but I suspect coming to Rochester that um, 
they are going to pick the parts of the city that they're interested in, but not invest in the city. For example, they'll, they'll likely live in the suburbs if they have children um, and use tax money to fund suburban schools and not contribute to city schools. Um, if they're young and childless, they may be living in new housing that has also received tax abatements and deals. And sometimes, sometimes these headquarters get public money to build the building. So they're not even paying for the cost of their own doing of business. They're, we're actually defunding public programs and shifting that tax money to something that only benefits um, people who are going to live outside the city maybe come in to see a show, leave again, not really contribute to the day-to-day lives of those of us living in the city. It's also worth mentioning just how big this campus is. They're talking 8 million square feet. Uh, just by way of comparison, the, the old Midtown Mall was, I believe, 1 million square feet. Uh, so eight Midtown Malls. There's no guarantee this would even wind up in the city. Uh, in all likelihood, it's going to wind up and land outside the city. Uh, it's going to uh, you know, just be a kind of suburban enclave or exclave, if you will, from the city uh, that benefits from association to the, the city of Rochester, just like the suburbs do, but it's not paying anything, like Karen said, into uh, municipal coffers or into the, the benefits of uh, people who actually do live in, in this metro area. Yeah, I mean, we should also be concerned about gentrification. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we are going to have, uh, you know, an influx of white collar workers um, and they're going to be looking for places to live. And so, so all sorts of kind of inequitable geographical outcomes um, are suddenly, you know, at play. I think I just I think I would just find it very refreshing if um, whenever we talked about jobs creation, because this is what we're told, we need to cut taxes on the rich because they're jobs creators, except that they're not. They move their money offshore and they never actually put it into the development of any communities. They hoard their gold. <laughs> they hoard their gold. So I would like, um, I would like the conversation to be, what kind of jobs? Okay, you're gonna you're gonna create some jobs. Are they going to be a living wage? Are they going to be full time for people who want full time employment? For part time jobs, are they going to have predictable scheduling? Because most people who take part time jobs, they're not um, they're not. 1950s housewives who just want to get some Christmas spending money and take a part-time job for that reason. So people who take part-time jobs often have to take two or three part-time jobs. Predictable scheduling is a key to making that possible for those folks. So full-time jobs, living wage, predictable scheduling, I would say union jobs. <laughs> so union jobs. Um, and I don't see any of that coming down the pike with this kind of a proposal. So I've been sort of fantasizing about solutions that are less about policy and more about, um, I don't know, revenge? <laughs> Sounds good um, to me. <laughs> I'm not sure what I should say. <laughs> so, I mean, what happens is that the people at the tops of these companies are really insulated from the effects of what they're doing, so in communities, right? So I think about, as an example, the fracking industry. And I have a fantasy that for a community to say yes to fracking, um, they make it part of the terms that all of the corporate executives' families have to live in the community um, next to the fracking wells, attend the public schools there, and drink the drinking water. 
I'd, like, I'd like to see Jeff Jeff Bezos uh, work in one of his Amazon warehouses for a couple of days, especially in the heat of summer. That's a really that's a really good transition. Um, I to to the next part of our show. We should really keep moving on. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about. So we're talking about Amazon headquarters and the muckety mucks. We're going to talk about what it's like to work in a warehouse. Um, some of the national news that's come out in the last five years about working in Amazon warehouses, and we'll be back after a break. Hey listeners, Wayo FM is a volunteer, community, and most importantly, non-commercial radio station. We are dependent on support from our listeners. If you like Punching Out, or if you like any of the other great shows in this station, please consider donating to donate.wayofm.org. Welcome back. For the second half of this show, we're going to be interviewing uh, Rich who was a warehouse worker. Uh, he didn't work at a warehouse um, the size of you know your standard um, Amazon warehouse, but he did work at a warehouse. Um, so we thought it would be a good idea to, to kind of get an on-the-ground uh, depiction of what it's like as a worker. So, so Rich, tell us about your job. So the job was a, it was a mid-sized warehouse. It was uh, in, a, in a major city. Uh, I'd say about between 20 and 30 people worked there. So you can get a sense of the size. It was not an Amazon scale place by any means. But it still had a lot of the, you know, the woes we think of uh, in any kind of warehouse environment. It was not climate controlled. Uh, in fact, that was the only thing uh, my soon-to-be boss said to me as an interview. He took me around the warehouse and said, it gets hot in the summer, it gets cold in the winter. Uh, do you want the job? And I said, yes. Uh, Paid eight dollars an hour, uh, except when it got really hot outside. When it was ninety degrees outside, that meant it was between one hundred and ten and one hundred twenty degrees inside the warehouse, and we got hazard pay for that—an extra dollar an hour. So nine dollars an hour to work, you know, an absolutely miserable, sweltering summer humidity, uh, industrial fans moving air around, but just moving hot air around. Um, very difficult to work under those kind of conditions. Uh, and it really emphasized, you know, just again how disposable we are as a workforce there's no effort at all to maintain any kind of not even comfort just uh these basic you know level of humanity there i think yeah i was going to say the same thing the, where's where's the humanity um i did a little bit of research on the amazon uh complaints that people have published about uh, over the past five or ten years and um, some of these come out of Scotland so this is a worldwide problem that Amazon is propagating um, people camping in tents in the winter outside the Amazon warehouse because they can't afford housing or travel time to the nearest affordable housing to work in the fact in the warehouse um, uh, walking up to 10 miles a day as part of the job, but finding that the uh, water dispensers are regularly empty, um, so water's not available. Uh, and it sounds like there's a policy uh, that anybody who misses work for any reason, um, including sick time, family funerals, miscarriage, comes back to a work improvement plan. Um, as it's to, to make sure you're staying on task and you're staying serious about your job. Um, there's also a new thing happening with um, RV culture where seniors are often the itinerant workers in different Amazon warehouses 
um, they travel by RV and then they are temporary workers. Um, so that the really, really disposable, <laughs> so disposable me, really disposable um, itinerant at work. Yeah, I was just struck um, when I was doing research on, on warehouse labor, um, th just the complaint about climate control, um, you know, just how hot it is or how cold it is in these facilities. Um, it actually reminded me, um, I was a Marine for five years and uh, for about a year and a half, I was an enlisted uh, Marine. So I, I did a lot of kind of like warehouse style labor. And, you know, we as as service people, we, we sign a contract where we, we know we're, we're handing over our bodies to the government and we know that the government is going to. It can do whatever they want with our bodies at that point, for the most part, and and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get, um, we're gonna get overworked, and we're gonna get treated poorly, and all the rest, and we know what we're signing up, signing up for, for. So I think it just speaks to the nature of our of the twenty first century political economy, particularly in, in the United States, that um, this seems to be the contract that everyone is signing, uh, whether you're a civilian or a marine, it doesn't matter anymore. Um, you are going to be treated poorly, at least in these warehouses. Um, so, I, to me, that that tells us something. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right that you know these are uh, they're miserable conditions uh, in any of these warehouses, and the pace of work uh, is another point worth emphasizing. It's absolutely grueling, uh, you know, particularly in Amazon, where uh, you know everything's measured, everything's monitored. Time and motion studies are a regular part of, uh, you know, their, their work day. It's actually impossible for a worker to maintain the pace Amazon intends for them by design. Uh, these aren't intended to be, uh, you know, permanent workers. They're temporary workers by design, uh, literally disposable. As soon as, uh, you know, they, they get hurt on the job, as soon as they get sick, uh, as soon as they can't keep up because they're just exhausted and worn down. Uh, Amazon can turn to this reserve army, like Karen said, of these RV workers and, you know, Christmas time or, you know, anyone else looking for just any kind of job in this economy uh, to fill in the gap until the next person comes along. I know that we don't have a lot of time left for the show, but I want to pose a question to the two of you. Um, my question is... But isn't any job better than no job? So I'll answer it's that okay first. It's okay to laugh. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, no, it's it, it's it's funny, morbidly, um, morbidly so. Um, <laughs> you know, this this is the kind of question that's been asked throughout history. So, um, you know, in the age of child labor, that was precisely the question that was posed um to to poor people um you know isn't having a job as a child or having um your child as a laborer better than you know you or your child not having a job and therefore you or your child not having income um you saw the same kind of argument during you know the time of slavery like isn't it better to have a slave owner that provides you with shelter and food isn't that better than not having shelter and food so you can really do you know um, use this type of question to justify anything and throughout history um the ruling class and, and the oppressors have always uh, posed that question for that very reason so it's a false dilemma at the end of the day um it's not a it, we don't have only two choices between 
having these really crappy de-unionized jobs with the, you know, where the boss can move, you know, get out of Dodge at any point in time or um, not having a job at all. There's so many options in between those two extremes. Um, And the fact is our leadership, our political leadership, um, don't choose to invest in those options because a lot of them are on the dime of the very corporations uh, that need to democratize their, you know, everyday work routine and their their everyday ownership structures. My answer to that is that you know the whole point of the socialist project is to restore humanity to every facet of our lives, especially the point of our lives where we spend most of our time, which is the workplace. Uh, we shouldn't have to uh, exist precariously, not just economically, but also bodily, uh, in order to make our living. Our value should not be tied to our work. Uh, our values should be tied to our humanity. And, you know, these jobs are, these Amazon jobs, these warehouse jobs are anti-humanistic at their core uh, and should be utterly uh, abolished from our economy. Okay, we need to wrap up. But you guys, there's one thing that's coming out of this conversation um, for me, and that is we need to have a show about universal employment um, universal income, full employment. We we should try to put something together like that. Agreed. <laughs> Concur. Okay, thanks, everybody. That's our show today. All right, it's great talking with you guys. Cheers, everyone. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out, and remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.